right, thank you, Greg. Greg's a lot smarter than I am, so I figured he could help you guys think outside the box, and I know he helps me uh, think outside the box about as far as I can go is to maybe go play the lotto or something. So um, anyway, I'm joking. I would not tell you to do that. But if you win, we will uh, redeem those and use them to build a building, right? So um, no, but anyway, I want y'all to know my heart behind this project. If this is your first time or, or this is not about uh, you, this is about the people that consider Connection Church, their church home. We want you to be a part of this thing. Um, I would never personally ask you to do something uh, that me and my wife Kate are not willing to do as well. And so I would tell you that Kate and I are praying through this. And, uh, and you should have received some stuff as you came in the door this morning. Uh, and so you should have received this, this booklet. This booklet will tell you all about the project. Um, you also should have received a bookmark. Uh, this is how we're praying together as a church about this. This is a big step for us, but we believe it's the next step that God's calling us to take. And so we want you to join in this week, week two. Uh, take a day, fast a meal if you can physically are able to do that, and just pray for this project. Pray for what God would have you do, uh, but also pray for our church in general as we embark on this. Uh, and then also, this is our commitment card. And so you should have received this when you came in. This is very important. If you uh, want to make a commitment, this is what you'll make it on. And so uh, this card will be actually what you turn in. Uh, two dates that I want you to write down and remember. Uh, the first one is November 17th. Uh, that is the day that we will commit together as a church. Um, that service on that Sunday morning, everybody who wants to be a part of it uh, will turn, on, turn in their commitment uh, card. Um, and so if you look at this, I want to kind of explain it so I don't lose anybody in this, so you're not confused about it. If you turn over to the back, there's some blanks right there to help you. Uh, you'll see the first blank is a jumpstart gift. Uh, this has had a lot of people ask me about giving a big amount up front. So one of the things Kate and I are praying about doing is, is getting some money out of our savings account and uh, kind of starting off with a bang, so to speak, and, and really uh, creating some... some uh, impact from the beginning. If you desire and want to do that and have the ability to, uh, that would be your jumpstart gift. But here's where I really want everybody to focus in on top of that is, is just making an annual commitment. Um, let's say you, you say, all right, well, we'll, we'll not eat out one day a week and, and kind of maybe not go to Starbucks or wherever you go. And we're going to save 50 bucks a week. And we're going to dedicate these 50 bucks over and beyond what we're already given. And uh, over, I want you to look at that chart. If you'll bounce to the right, I put a chart on there. It's very helpful. Uh, if you look at that, you would say, okay, we'll give 50 bucks extra than what we're giving now a week. Uh, over a month, that'll be 217 bucks. Over a year, that would be 2600 And then over three years, that'd be $7,800. And so telling you, if, if every one of us can play our part and seek the Lord and ask him what he wants us to give, we will exceed this and do over and beyond, and it'll be an incredible thing that God wants to do with us. And so November 17th, we'll commit as a church, and then the other date is actually tomorrow. So let's say you're listening to me and you say, Billy, I'm ready, I'm fired up, I know I'm heart and soul with Connection Church and want to be a part of this thing, uh, I want to go ahead and commit. Well, we're having an early commitment dinner tomorrow night at Part and Park in Lines, which is where we started as a church in 2015 at the Durden Cabin at 6 o'clock. Uh, if you want to be a part of that, we have childcare provided and all that. You can sign up and RSVP online. If you look at our Facebook account, uh, you'll see the link. We've posted it a few times, and so we'd love to. The deadline to sign up, please, 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 uh, is this afternoon at 3 or 4. So we need to make arrangements for your children and uh, know for food-wise and all that stuff. So anyway, if you got your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and open up today 
uh, to Mark chapter 10, which is where we'll be uh, this morning. Mark chapter 10, we'll start in verse 17. And uh, let me pray for us, and we will jump right in. So here we go. Father, thank you so much for today. Uh, Lord, we're so excited, uh, God, about what you're doing with your church, God, and what you're doing uh, in the lives of people. Uh, God, we do, we pray for the 1-8 Project. God, we pray, uh, God, that you would use it to reach people. Lord, we have no desire to build a big building or to build a a new facility and spend all this money if it's not going to help us reach people. God, it's just a means to an end. Our heart is aligned with your heart. So, Lord, I pray, uh, God, that you would do that. Lord, I pray today as we open up your scriptures and we look into uh, the story of the rich young ruler, uh, God, that you would open our eyes to um, areas of our life where we need to grow. God, that we would... um, that you would reveal areas where we need to surrender our life to you, God, and we would be willing to do that because of who you are and because of what you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 31 is the story of the rich young ruler. Many of you have probably heard it before. Uh, we're in the middle of this series called The 1-8 Project where I've been kind of teaching through generosity and, and, and looking at really what Scripture has to say about money because it does have to say a lot. And uh, we looked at Zacchaeus last week, and this week we're going to look at the rich young ruler. And uh, this is an encounter that Jesus had with a young man that we've called the rich young ruler. So here we go, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Underline I, what must I do, right? That's, that's the wrong question to ask Jesus. We can't do anything to inherit eternal life. Verse 18, God's already done it. Verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Verse 19, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. You shall not honor your father or you need to honor your father and mother. I want you to notice how Jesus is having this encounter. He asks the wrong question. Jesus points him to the Ten Commandments. But if you notice, Jesus actually skipped the first few. And if you know the Ten Commandments any, the first one is that you shall have no other gods above me. Well, one of the things we're going to learn about the rich young ruler is his wealth and his power was was his God. That's what he looked to for fulfillment. And so listen to how Jesus handles this. Verse 20, teacher, he declared... This is the the rich young ruler talking. He says, all these commandments I have kept since I was a boy. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's important, underline that. Jesus looked at him and loved him. He said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Verse 22, "At at this the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. And so it's interesting when you read this and you're sitting here thinking like, oh my gosh, Jesus just shut this guy down. Like, I mean, did, is this the Jesus that we serve? Does he just literally, you ask him a question, he slaps you in the face and you walk away. But here's the thing, you got to understand what's going on is Jesus, anytime Jesus encounters somebody in scripture, he always gets immediately to their heart. And so when this rich young ruler comes up to Jesus, he knows what's going on in his heart. He knows that he has given himself over to serve money and wealth and this luxurious lifestyle of having power and wealth. And he's looking to that to bring him joy and fulfillment. But God looks at him and loves him. He knows, listen, this guy is like a sheep without a shepherd. He's trying to make sense 
of why he was created and what he's here to do apart from God, and it's not going to work out. It's going to leave him empty, and it's going to lead him down a life of destruction. And God knows that, and it says he loves him. And because he loves him, what he does is he points out the, the very thing that was holding him back by asking him a question. Because listen to this. What we are not willing to give up reveals what has our heart. All right, listen to me. You can write that down. That's very important. What we are unwilling to give up for God reveals what truly has our heart. And then Jesus goes on to say this, 23. He kind of then turns his attention to his disciples after the guy walked away sad. We never hear from him again, so we can assume that he uh, chose riches and wealth and power over God. Verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It was almost as if Jesus was using it as a teaching moment with his disciples to say, look at the grip that riches has on this guy's heart. It numbed him so much that I, the God of the universe, was standing in front of him and he would still choose something other than the very reason he was created. 24, the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel, which would have been the biggest animal around at that point, it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which is very small, than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 26, then the disciples were even more amazed and they said to each other, then who then can be saved? So the disciples are thinking, well, good Lord, if nobody can be saved, then they almost begin to doubt their own salvation. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And then the one we love, Peter, of course, shares what he's thinking. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who were first will be last, and the last first. I think it's interesting that in the reward for giving up everything, the hundred times will receive as much. He includes persecutions, but I can't say that. So he actually thinks of persecution as a reward that we receive for giving everything up for God, which is interesting. But I can't preach on that. I don't have time. But one of the things you see in there is that, you know, this man walked away sad and was unwilling to surrender his life to Christ, but Jesus' offer was, was to give him more than he would have to give up in the very end. And so what I want to do for us before, before we get started, I want to ask four simple questions, but I want you to write this down because I believe this is kind of the, the just of the whole sermon. Giving up something to gain something better is not a sacrifice, it's an investment. So when we, when, listen to it again, giving up something to gain something better is not a sacrifice. It is an investment. Following Jesus is very costly, but it's worth it. Listen, when we, we may have to give up things and God is going to require us to give up things, but it's an investment because we receive something way better. So four questions. Number one, what do we learn about the rich young ruler? Number two, what do we learn about Jesus Number three, what do we learn about money? 
And finally, number four, what do we learn about surrender? So let's talk about these. And as I talk about these, I want to teach you this is how to read Scripture. When you're reading Scripture, it's really good to begin to ask questions, specifically questions about God and questions about uh, the people that he's encountering and then questions about the gospel. And so what do we learn about the rich young ruler? The first thing we learn is that he's rich and powerful, right? That's how he gets the name, the rich young ruler, right? He's very wealthy. Uh, he's, learned, he's earned a lot of, of financial gain in his life. Not only that, but he's powerful because he's a ruler. And then we also know he's young. So I want you to think about this. Most people would say he's around the age of 30, and he's already uh, built his repute and, and his wealth up enough where he's a very powerful member of society. He's somebody who really we should look at and say everything the world has to offer this is a guy that has gotten to that place. We talked about Tom Brady last week, kind of similar to somebody like that who has his, all the money, all the power, all the influence the world has to offer. Not only that, but he's a good person, right? Because he, he, when Jesus tells him about the commandments, what does he respond back? Or at least he appears to think he's a good person. So he says, all these commandments you've talked about, not stealing, honoring my father and mother, I've done all these things. I've done them since I was a youth. So not only would he be rich and, and a powerful and influential person, but he would have been a good person. We would probably call this and consider this guy by the world's standards a good old boy. He would have been a church-going person. He would have been a member of a church, but he was just a good person. The next thing we understand is that he misunderstood the gospel. How do we know that he misunderstood the gospel? Because his question is, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God. If you understand the gospel, we don't do anything to inherit the kingdom of God. It is a gift. We receive it, right? Religion says, hey, you must do this. The gospel says Christ has already done it. All you have to do is receive what he's already done because he's already made a way for salvation. So we understand he's looking for something to do when Jesus has already done everything needed for salvation for him to surrender. The next thing we know is that he, he, he knew something was missing. He, he wasn't fulfilled because he was looking, though he, had, he was rich, he, he was a good person, he was influential, he had all the power, he had everything the world had to offer, he still was looking for Jesus. He came to Jesus and his question was not a question, but it was the probably most important question we could ever ask. It's, hey, how do I go to heaven? But how do I inherit the kingdom of God? That's probably the most important question we can ever ask as a person is, why are we here? Who is God? What is, what is eternity? What is destiny? All of these questions are very deep questions. And so we see, though this guy had everything the world had to offer, there was still a piece of him that was unfulfilled. He was, he was missing it. He wanted to know something deeper. And then the last thing we learn about him is that ultimately one thing kept him from eternal life, and it was his unwillingness to surrender all. He was unwilling to surrender his wealth and his power. He loved that more than he loved God, and he walked away sad because of it, because the requirement to follow Jesus is surrender. The second thing I want to ask is, what do we learn about Jesus? What do we learn about Jesus? We've already learned about the rich young ruler, and, and he's a very relatable person, right? This is the thing I love about Scripture is a lot of times we try to distance ourselves from people in Scripture, but when you read about the rich young ruler, 
he's kind of us in a way, right? You think about how many of us sit in this room today where uh, we, we would consider ourselves wealthy. You probably wouldn't, but the world would, right? Because less than half of the world uh, lives off of $1 a day, all right? Everybody in here probably makes more than $1 a day, so we would be considered the rich of the world. Money is a big deal in America, right? It, it's not hard to find. We are the richest country in the world. And so we can relate to this guy, and I think it's very important that we understand that. So what do we learn about Jesus? Number one, we learn that he knows us. It's so funny. Anytime Jesus comes face-to-face with a person or encounters a person, he knows the person. He knows them from the inside out. I want you to think about last week with Zacchaeus. When Jesus came to Zacchaeus, he walked straight up to the tree and asked him to come down. He never asked him what he did. He never asked him who he was. He knew he was a tax collector. He knew he had given up all of his friends and his family and betrayed everything he'd ever known for the sake of money and financial gain. He knew that, and he had a conversation with him that went straight to his heart. Think about the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Jesus comes and has an encounter with this woman at the well. We know because we get it in Scripture that she was a woman that had been married five times. So she was looking for relationships with men. She was looking for sex. She was looking for the perfect family to satisfy her. Jesus never says he asked her that. He walks right up to her. And what does he do? Straight to her heart. Hey, I see that you've been married five times and you're living with another guy. You're drinking from a well that's never going to satisfy you. Let me tell you about the well that you were. And, of course, she would have been like, oh, my God, he knows everything about me, which is what she said, right? We see it also um, with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Jesus encounters a man named Nicodemus. He's a religious guy, kind of has it all together. He's a religious leader of that time period. Jesus walks up to him and he says, hey, I see that you're a religious teacher, but you're missing the point. You need to be born again. (laughs) Nicodemus is probably like, well, did I, how did you know I was religious? You know what I mean? So, but the thing we see and learn about Jesus very early on in the Bible is that he knows us, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He knows what has our heart, and most of the time when he encounters us, he gets right to it. The second thing we learn about Jesus is that he loves us. It says Jesus looked at this rich young ruler and loved him. That's very important because a lot of times the type of Jesus that you and I believe in is not the type of Jesus that speaks the truth in love. A lot of us, when we think about Jesus, we believe in a Jesus that tells us what we want to hear. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible speaks the truth in love because he loves us. The most hateful thing he could ever do to us in this room is lie to us. He's going to get to our heart. He's going to teach us. He's going to show us areas of our heart that are going to lead us to destruction. He saw this man like a sheep without a shepherd. And you think about it, Jesus would have related to this man because Jesus was rich and wealthy in heaven. He had everything in heaven, but he chose to give it all up and come to earth to save you and I. And so Jesus is not asking this man to do something that he's not done himself. And so he would have related to him. And so Jesus gave himself up. The next thing you learn uh, about him is is not only does he, he know us, not only does he love us, so he goes straight to our heart But he also gets personal with us. And this is where scripture really begins to speak into our lives. And I desire for every person in this room to be able to read the scriptures and be able to hear from God through them. And and that's what I believe that Jesus did with the rich young ruler. 
He saw him for who he was. He saw him for the religious man, the lack of understanding of the gospel. He saw right through his heart to know that he had given himself to money and he got personal with him. Well, that's the thing I love about Jesus is he does the same thing for you and I. Listen, he knows every person in this room. He doesn't just deal with us as a congregation. He's not like me where I have to preach to a whole room of people. Him through the power of the Holy Spirit comes and he knows you. And he begins to deal with us on a personal level. It's absolutely incredible for us to understand that. I want you to get personal with God. If Jesus himself came in this room right now, sat down with you one-on-one, what would the conversation look like? That's the Jesus of the Bible. Because listen, that's what our Jesus does. Listen, he knows you, he loves you, and he wants to be personal with you. He wants to look, he wants to sit down with you and have a conversation and begin to uncover, hey, what is it in your heart that is promising you everything, but it's gonna lead you to destruction? I love you, I wanna keep you away from that before you have to go down the line to do it. And so would Jesus' conversation with you look like his conversation with Nicodemus? Would he say, hey, man, you, you, you come to church, but you're missing the point. You don't have a relationship with me. You're bought into religion. Would it be like Zacchaeus or the rich young ruler? Would he say, hey, man, you're looking for, you're looking for life and power and success and money to the point where you can't even hear from me because that's all you think about and that's all you care. Would it look like the, the woman at the well? where she had began to give herself into sexual immorality and began to think sex and relationships with with a man or a woman were going to fulfill her. And Jesus said, no, 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 you're missing the point. Listen, you're not created to find fulfillment in things other than me. What would Jesus' conversation look like with you today? That's the conversation that Jesus wants to have. He doesn't want to talk about which church service you're attending at Connection Church. He wants to talk about what it is that has your heart. And he wants to do it because he loves you. We got to get past the surface level Christianity that just enamors our culture right now. That it's all about going through the motions. Jesus is not concerned with you going through the motions. Jesus wants your heart. That's what he's after. And listen, we'll never find fulfillment and joy and satisfaction in the reason we were created until we get personal with Jesus and walk in a personal relationship with him. The third thing I want to teach you about is what do we learn about money? Not only does this passage teach us about the rich young ruler and Jesus, it teaches us about money. It teaches us that money is one of the hardest areas in our lives to surrender. Not just for the rich young ruler, but for all of us. Listen, it wasn't long into the church that I realized, and people had told me, but I didn't understand it until I started pastoring a church, that money is always the first thing to go with people when they get frustrated at the church. And money is always the last thing to come with people when they're just kind of checking out the church. Why? Because money is so linked to our heart. That's how we tell if somebody's heart and soul with something, right? Is, is are you willing to leverage your finances for it? Because listen, where your finances go is what determines what has your heart. And that's what Jesus talks about money so much in the Bible about. It's, it's mainly because money, it's, it's such an important thing to understand about our money. If we never get to the point where we begin to see our money as an indicator of our heart, 
then we never get down to the deep parts of our heart to understand what has it. And listen, a lot of times it's not because our money's going to bad places. When I sit down and look at my budget, most of the time when I've lost focus, my money's going towards food, it's going towards my family, it's going towards all those things, and none of that's bad. But God is more important to me than my family. God doesn't come second, he comes first. Because if I want my family to not go into destruction, I need to be having him first in my life, right? And food's important. Relationships are built over food. Listen, you can tell by the way I look, I love food. But food is not more important to me than God because food's ultimately not going to satisfy me. Temporarily maybe, but not in the long run. It's why God asks us to look into our money and see, and that's why he used money to uncover the heart of the rich young ruler. The fourth thing I want us to learn is that I want us to learn about surrender. This passage teaches us about surrender. What does it teach us about surrender? Number one, that it's hard. Surrender is a difficult thing when you start to think about it. Surrender is you being willing to give up your life to the control of another. I don't know if you're anything like me. Don't lie in church. But I like control. You know what I mean? I like, to, I like to make my own plans. I like to make my own money. And I like to take care of my own family. But when I met Jesus, that changed. Because listen, I don't have the power to do those things. Everything I have is a gift from God. So ultimately, he's my provider. Right? And so we have to begin to think like that. But here's the thing that sin's done to all of us. Even think about Adam and Eve in the garden. Is Adam and Eve in the garden, literally, when Satan came to them, what did he do? He came to him and said, hey, did God really say not to eat from this tree? He just don't want you to be able to make your own decisions. And they were like, well, that sounds great. I, I deserve to make my own decisions. Right? It would be freeing for me to be able to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Think about our country. Our country is the land of the free. Right? So we worship this idea of being free, to be able to do everything that we want to do when we want to do it. I'm not saying our country wasn't founded on Christian principles. You hear what I'm saying. It's we, we, we want to be free to do what we want to do. But here's the teaching of Jesus. Freedom is not doing what you want to do. Freeing is doing what you were created to do. Being who you were created to be, not who you want to be. Because the Bible would teach us that before we meet Jesus, we're spiritually blind. We're trying to figure this out on our own. But the problem is, is we were created by somebody. And it makes sense for us to make sense of the whole world through his lens because he's the person that created it, which is why it's essential that we have a relationship with God. But here's the thing, and this is why surrender is so hard. It's why the rich young ruler walked away sad because he loved his own plan. Listen, his plan had got him a lot of wealth. His plan had got him influence. His plan had got him power. His plan had got him everything the world had to offer. And so for him to come to Jesus and Jesus to say, listen, I want you to give away all of your wealth and then I want you to come and follow me. Why would he not be willing to do that? 
Because if you had worked your whole life to build up all this money and wealth and somebody asked you to give it away, that would rub you the wrong way too. But listen, I want you to understand the requirement to follow Jesus is not that you have to give everything away. This was just God, Jesus's conversation with this man. He was pointing to a different issue. The requirement to follow Jesus is to surrender everything. It's to say, God, everything I have, everything I am is yours. Whatever you want me to do with it, I'm willing to do it. Why? Because I trust that you are good. I trust that you are faithful and I trust that you love me. You're gonna take care of me, right? It's a willingness to come to Jesus and say, Jesus knows better than me. Because listen, if this guy would have walked up to Jesus and he would have trusted him that he was good and that he had this guy's best in mind, he would have been willing to do it. But he wasn't because why would Jesus ask him the first question? Well, why do you call me good? (laughs) Because in his mind, he saw Jesus as good, but the answer to the question when he walked away sad showed that he truly didn't believe that Jesus had his best in mind and that Jesus was good. Because if Jesus was good, he wouldn't ask me to sell everything. That's human logic. But in God's eyes, if he knows that you've given yourself over to wealth and power, the best thing he could do for you is take it away so that you would actually need him. And that's what Jesus is trying to do. Listen, this passage is not about money. This passage is about surrender. God wants this guy's heart. God wants this guy and he wants every believer in this room to be at a place where our hands are open to him and saying, God, whatever, whenever, I trust you. If you ask me to go here, I'm willing to go. If you ask me to do this, I'm willing to go because I know you love me and I know you have my best in mind. But what happens when your best for you contradicts or contrast from God's best for you. What do you do? That's what shows who's the Lord of your life. When God asks you to do something, but you don't feel like doing it, what happens? That shows you who the Lord of your life is. But listen, it all comes back down to do we believe God is good, who he says he is. So the one thing we learn about surrender is that it's hard, but another thing we learn is that it's worth it. Listen to Jesus' words. He says, listen, truly I tell you, no one who has left home, brothers, sisters, mother, father, or children, your family, or fields for me, you've sold fields, you've sacrificed everything for me in the gospel. Listen, nobody who's done that, verse 30, will fail to receive a hundred times as much. When? In this present age, right now, not in heaven, but when we sacrifice and surrender it all for Jesus, we feel like we're giving up everything, but we don't understand we're gaining everything. Jesus' logic is, listen, for us to find life, we must lay our life down. It's the opposite of everything the world teaches us to do. The the, The world teaches us to grab life by the horns and do what we want to do with it. Jesus says, listen, lay your life down if you want to find the reason which you were created. It's scary, but the reward is great. A hundred times as much in the present age and in the age to come, eternal life. Giving up something to gain something better isn't sacrifice. It's an investment. Giving up something to gain something better is not sacrifice. It's an investment. It's what God asks us to do. When we give up whatever we have to give up to follow Jesus, we gain that much more. The third thing we learn about surrender is that it also teaches us that anything less than absolute surrender 
is really no surrender at all. It was one thing that kept this man from inheriting eternal life. It was money, it was wealth, it was riches, it was power, it was influence. But here's the thing I know that for a lot of us in this room, this is how we've come to Christ. Listen, this was my problem. I was one foot in and one foot out. It was, hey God, you can have all of me while I'm at church, but what I do outside of church, don't worry about that. God, you can have all of me when I'm around this group of people, but when I'm not around this group of people, I'm going to live how I want to live and do what I want to do. Listen, for us, whatever we're unwilling to give up in our life shows what truly has our heart. Have you come to Jesus open-handed and saying, God, listen, I trust you. Listen, the point of the gospel is that God is good, that God made a way for you and I where there was no way because he loved us. And listen, the Bible teaches that God is good. He always does what's right. He would never ask you to do something that's not what's best for you in the long run. And not only that, but he's faithful to his people. That means what we give up for God in this life will always be worth it. He'll always be faithful. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll always be with us. He'll never ask us to give up something that he can't return a hundredfold for. His word is true. And he's also sovereign. That means he's in control. So ultimately, everything we have is a gift from God. He's in control of everything. So we don't need to try to control everything because he's already in control. How freeing would it be in our life for some of us to just let go of the control and the worry and the anxiety that we get from not knowing and resting and trusting in the fact that the God that loves us, that is faithful beginning and end is with us and loves us and is going to be faithful and he's going to be in control. And so we don't have to be. That's the most freeing part of believing in the God of the Bible is that he is faithful, he's good, he's in control. So the question is not, can you trust him? Any logical person would say, absolutely, I can trust him if he's good and he's always going to do what's right. If he's faithful and he's never going to leave me nor forsake me, and if he's in control, why would I not trust him? But the issue is, is when we bring our life to Jesus, the first step is to surrender. And surrender is hard. Listen, there's things in this room right now that people are holding on to, that to give them up, feels like it would be for you to choose unhappiness for the rest of your life. And most of the time, it's not a lot of different things. Most of the time, it's just one. It may be getting married. It may be wealth. It may be happiness or, or, or your version of happiness. Maybe it's control. Maybe it's a specific sin that you've given yourself over to. Maybe it's given up a group of friends that are leading you in a direction that's sinful. Maybe it's an addiction. Whatever it is, I mean, I could go through a ton of different ones, but you know, because listen, you can't look at Jesus and him not reveal it. <laughs> the only way away from that is for you to avoid it. And listen, I know this from my own experience. When I sit down with God, the first thing I say every morning when I wake up to spend time with God is, Lord, Show me areas of my life that I need to give up. God, teach me what it is that's holding me back from being the man that you've called me to be. God, teach me who I am in you so that I can live the way you want me to live. Why? 
Do I not know how to live on my own? Yeah, I could probably, from a world standpoint, do pretty good. But I don't want my life from a worldly standpoint. I want the life that he's called me to live because he's the creator God. He's the one that's good. He's the one that's faithful. He's the one that's in control. I want to follow him. I want to know him. And the posture of my heart has to stay in surrender. But listen, it's a fight. Every day I wake up and want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. There's some people I don't, I don't want to forgive for things that they've done to me. There's times where I just want to do what I want to do. I don't want to put my family and my kid above myself. I want to get some me time and go do what I want to do. When I feel like that, I can choose to go and do that. But in choosing to do that, I'm choosing to disobey God and do what he's not called me to do and who he's not called me to be. And listen, life is found surrendered to God. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, this passage is not about money. This passage is about the pathway to life starts with surrender. So right where you're at, I just want you to bow your head. Listen, I want this to be personal. I want it to be for every person in this room. And listen, you can avoid it. Listen, I spent most of my life avoiding this this question. What is it in your life that if you came face to face with Jesus, that he would reveal had your heart? What is it? What is the one thing that you're unwilling to give up that has a hold on your heart? This morning, Jesus is pressing on it. For some of us, it's, we know exactly what it is because God's speaking to our heart. Today, my prayer is that you'd give it up. You'd give it up to find the reward that God has for you on the other side. A hundredfold more in this age and in the age to come is what he says. For some of us in this room, we've never truly surrendered all to Christ. We've been playing the game of religion. We come to church, we go through the motions, but we've never surrendered to Christ. We've always been the Lord of our life. We still do what we want to do when we want to do it. That's not the life of a Christian. The life of a Christian is open hands. God, whatever, whenever. I believe you're good. God, I believe you're faithful. And God, I'm willing to do whatever, whenever, because I love you and I know you're leading me where you want me to be and that's where I want to be. And so maybe this morning you're here and you'd say, Billy, I've never surrendered to Christ and today I've realized he loves me. He loves me so much that he sent his son from heaven to die for me so that I could be reconciled back to a relationship with him. And so that I could follow him. He wants to fill me with his Holy Spirit so that he can lead me for the rest of my life. So that I can be who I was created to be. And today you'd say, Billy, I'm ready to turn from my life. I'm ready to turn from sin and living for myself. And today I want to live for Jesus. And I want to surrender my life to him. If that's you, we got a team of people. Our prayer team would love to pray with you. They'd love to get you any resources that you need to help you start a growing relationship with Jesus. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to be bold. Right where you are, I just want you to lift your hand up and say, Billy, that's me. I know 100% God's speaking to my heart this morning.
and that's me. I'll give you a second. If that's you, raise your hand. We'd love to pray with you. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. And for the rest of us in this room, right where you are, God, what is it that you're holding back from Jesus? What is it? What is it that God's pressing into your heart? Is it a specific sin that you're, that you're believing is gonna give you what it can never give you? Is it forgiveness from someone in your life that is controlling you, the bitterness and anger that comes from it? What is it? God is bringing it to your heart. I pray today you'd surrender it. Not because you want to, but because you realize God loves you and he wants to address it so that you can find the fulfillment and joy he wants for your life. So Father, that's our heart this morning. God, thank you for your scripture. God, thank you that you love us. God, thank you that you're personal. God, thank you that you don't give up on us. So Father, I pray today that none of us would leave this room in disobedience. God, avoiding the the topic that you wanna talk about. God, would you knock down the walls of religion in our heart? And God, would you bring us to a true relationship with you. Father, lead us. God, use us to do incredible things for you in this community and throughout the world. Father, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here and we'll see you back next week.